Welcome back to Speakeasy Security. I'm Ransom Burkett, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Tony Anscom, Chief Security Evangelist at ESET. Hey, good to be here again, Ransom. All right. I'm glad to have you back. How's everything? It's good. It's uh, it's a foggy day here on the coast in Half Moon Bay. Oh, wow. Well, same thing down here in San Diego, and I'm hoping we'll, we'll get some clear skies here this afternoon because, gosh, it's been some beautiful sunsets, and I want to get back out there and hopefully catch another one tonight. It sounds, it yeah. sounds beautiful. <laughs> sounds good, right? Well, I'm glad to have you back, and this week we're talking about something that's been in the news so much so that I don't think anyone can avoid it. Twitter hacked. That's the headline that I keep seeing over and over and over, and it's still shocking to me given how much security Twitter utilizes to safeguard its platform and even its users. So on this episode, we're going to go ahead and discuss what happened, whether these individuals can expect their personal accounts to be targeted, or is this uh, a part of a bigger scheme that we might be seeing something happening uh, to the general public? Well, it is a super interesting hack, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to dis discuss it in a little more detail. Uh, however, today's a special day, isn't it? Oh, really? Why is that? Well, isn't this our 10th episode so it caps out the season you're right this is episode 10 season finale all right well this is a so special I, day it absolutely is and as it's grown from an, an initial concept during this lockdown that we've been through uh to a weekly podcast it's time to to get the beer out again isn't it oh man you're telling me yeah let's get the let's crack a beer all right i'll tell you what i'll go first I am sipping my favorite beer I saved for this occasion, Lagunitas Little Something Something Ale. And I'll tell you, this is the best beer out there. Lagunitas up there in Petaluma near you. I got to say, you guys keep putting out incredible beer. And uh, hey, I'm happy to I'm happy to share one with our listeners and you, Tony, on, uh, on this special occasion. Absolutely. Well, I have something rather unusual this week. I have a Mississippi Mud. Ooh, a Mississippi Which is mud. a blend of pearl and dark beer that dates back to the 18th century. And it's oh. uh, rather tasty. Oh, wow. In true speakeasy style. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Okay. Now, and just, just for our listeners, if you hear a beeping during our podcast, that's the Lagunitas truck pulling up and delivering Ransom. He's <laughs> sponsored beer delivery. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. It would be. Oh wow, Lagunitas! Hey, you're you've got fans here in San Diego, so yeah, please please back that security truck up. Please back that delivery truck up. I'm talking security, security on my mind, I guess. You know, well, hey, wanted to raise a glass to you, Tony. It's been great. First season's been incredible, and uh, again, I can't believe we're already on episode ten. So, cheers to you, sir. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get to it. You know, uh, we just kind of started off with the big headline that. Again, I don't think anyone can avoid. And with Twitter being hacked last week, you know, I can't believe the types of accounts that were accessed. I mean, that's the one thing that's mind-boggling to me. But two, I think what's also shocking is that these hackers were able to make money off of this. So, I mean, Tony, you've probably been following this pretty closely. What what, what happened? Well, it's super interesting what's been reported, uh, and I'm going to actually lean on the New York Times investigation into this because the New York Times have managed to speak to some hackers on a bulletin board or a, an online message board that gave them the lowdown of actually how this went down. So a couple of hackers were in touch with another hacker called Kirk, 
and Kirk is clearly the perpetrator in amongst all of this. So two hackers were communicating late on Tuesday. There was a tease message uh, on Discord, and one of them claimed to work for Twitter. Oh, wow. And it was clear that the one that worked for Twitter, Kirk, didn't work for Twitter because he was too ready to actually put the knife in and do some damage to them. But yeah, it seems like it. through the message board, it demonstrated that he could take control of valuable Twitter accounts. Now, a lot of these hackers uh, hang around Twitter because they're all desperate to get the short accounts. Yeah, so if they can if they can breach in and get at six or at A or at B instead of the long Twitter handles that many of us are having having to live with. So that's why they hang around there. But the New York Times compiled the conversations and they actually believed that it, the group was quite young and it would imply that they're non-organized. But the main hacker was in there and he gained access to Twitter's internal Slack messaging channel, uh, which also then gave access to the company's network servers behind it. Wow. Wow. That's unbelievable. So he got into their Slack account and basically that allowed him to have the credentials of the average or maybe the administrator within Twitter. Is that right? Well, he then, through the company servers, the hacker uh, then got access to internal tools that are only available to Twitter employees. So in effect, he was on their network and he was looking like one of them. And he used one of those internal tools to take control. In fact, what he did was reset passwords on a number of accounts and then took control of those accounts. Because as you know, once you've got the password, you're off and running. Oh, yeah. And he used them to, to send out some tweets. Wow. So he... And I say he, he may be a she. We don't know, do we? I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> Let's use the they. They were, yeah. able to, right? they were able to do some things, as you said, that are quite nefarious. And um, as you said, pretty much the holy grail of someone that's looking to... Um, uh, to maybe undermine someone, or for this purpose, it seemed as though the goal was financial gain. Um, so I do have a question, though. As you're saying with regards to Slack uh, being the platform that uh, was utilized, um, I did read something that said that, you know, be before Slack even became a publicly traded company, they had to list, list the risk factors about its tech, and one of which was that hackers getting access to customers' accounts was a major concern. Um, and it seems to be that now this was proven to be the cause, right? It is. Now, I've worked for a public company, as you know, and when a company goes public or they file their quarterly report, they have to file something called a 20F. And part of the 20F is a risk summary mm. of okay. things that may affect the business. And in that 20F, companies basically put down all the information that may affect their stock should something happen. And... Within there, yeah, apparently Slack put in there that this could be an issue. And unfortunately, it has been proven that way. Wow. Wow. Um, so the big, but the big unanswered question for me, Ransom, is when in Twitter's own disclosure, and I will say Twitter it seemed to have been pretty transparent actually in putting out information about this hack and how it's happened and where they are in the process of investigation, they state that their two-factor authentication was bypassed. Really? Right. So we, you and I have discussed this on previous podcasts. Could this be a SIM swap? Oh, you're right. You're right. It, it very well could be, you know. It, I think it's highly likely to be a SIM swap. 
well, they targeted certain Twitter employees. That's Twitter have said that themselves. So there was this was a spear phishing attack against mm. certain employees. Yeah. So we've got this human element in here, which I know we're going to get to in just a moment. But now they're now they're targeting. If you know the individuals that you are targeting, and you can look up their mobile numbers, work out who their carriers are, then potentially we end end up in that SIM swap scenario where you don't just take over their credentials uh, to get into their work account, but you also take over their phone number and receive the two-factor authentication messages as well. Wow. Wow. Well, again, you've spoken to this before. In fact, I think you're even sharing an article that you, writ- you had written about um, your experience doing so in, uh, in one of your local stores, just with you know a test of uh, just the, as you said, a proof of concept to see how likely someone could do it. And I think you said you pulled it off just by going in and doing a quick flash of your ID uh, without taking it out of your wallet. And hey, you're off and running with the new SIM card, right? Yeah, abs- absolutely. And this is a major issue because it's not just socially engineering then the employee, you're also socially engineering somebody at the carrier in the, the phone shop. And you know, once somebody has access to that phone, as we're seeing in this particular scenario, if you can bypass two-factor authentication, whether it be for your bank, whether it be for your email address, or in this instance, to access your company's resources and get to their you know, very internal servers that have those super interesting tools that can administer their, their own network, then you can do a lot of, lot of damage, not just to a consumer or a person, but actually potentially to a customer, as we've seen in this instance. And let's mm-hmm. be clear, the, the, this this hacker took control of uh, 45 accounts. So they reset the password on 45 accounts. They targeted at 130, and it uh, could only reset on 45. Well, that's a lot of people this affected. That's a lot of people and a lot of high-profile people, right? I mean, the list included folks like... You know, Barack Obama, I want to say Bill Gates was in there as well. I mean, some very high profile accounts uh, were, were compromised, um, which, again, we, we may just go ahead and address that. Why, why would they go and use these high profile accounts? Like what was what's the significance of using a Barack Obama to send and, and spam, you know, a message? Well, firstly, we should we should just be thankful they didn't set any U.S. foreign policy while they had access <laughs> yeah. to some accounts. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, right. but, yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe Twitter's not the place to release foreign policy, but you know. Yeah. Um, but why go after those high-profile accounts? Well, if you look at the accounts used, they are people that are in very much in the philanthropy arena. So if suddenly you put out a tweet that says, "Well, if you send me one one uh, k of Bitcoin, I'll send you two. while it, we, you and I know this is completely unbelievable because nobody gives free money away to just anyone. No. Uh, obviously, some people did unfortunately believe this and uh, did succumb to to that tweet. But of course, if they'd sent it for your, from your account or my account, nobody would have believed it true. No. So that's why those no. high, pro- high profile accounts are important. And obviously, you get the attention in the media as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, they probably did something big for the grandiose effect, right? Like, what's the impact here? What can we be known for, as you said, after the hack, after the breach? Uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, going back to one of the things you were mentioning, though, which was the human factor. I mean, it seems to be that, as you said, the tech for Twitter is relatively rock solid, right? From a security perspective, they've been pretty 
um, they've, they've been pretty safe. Now, again, this doesn't, um, you know, this doesn't factor into much if you can socially engineer the human and the human factor, which it seemed to be the weakest link in this hack. Um, please elaborate on this. Like what, what, what did the human element have on this, on this hack? Well, like I say, we don't know too many details. All we know is that some Twitter employees were targeted and clearly the hacker got the credentials to access the internal network, which is a typical spear phishing attack. So whether that's, hi, I'm from your IT department, I need you to reconfirm your password, here's a link, and somebody's created a very trustworthy looking page and you've given up your password. Who, who knows how that looked and what that felt like? We're, and I'm sure, I, I hope actually at some stage Twitter may share that so we can all see just how real it may have looked. And the reason that's important is because actually by seeing some of those example pages, we learn. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And everybody in other companies will learn. So ho hopefully they will share that. Uh, but that human factor is unfortunately behind so many data breaches. I believe it. I think, um, as you said, they've become more sophisticated in the language they use. It looks, and it may appear to come from a credible source, but as you said, unless you've been either educated or trained to kind of spot these things, as you said, there's um, quite a few folks that still fall for the phony, you know, the phony fish, if you will. Well, and even if I say, if after our podcast, I quickly created a an email through a proxy server, I could send you an email that looked and felt like it comes from someone else. If you open up the header of the email, which you know, you'd have to be talked through by your IT department or whatever, so people don't do this, you'd probably be able to see that, well, you would be able to see that it came from through a proxy server, so it's not come from the, or the originator you think it is. Yeah. But in your inbox, it will look real. It'll look real, yeah. So, Unless somebody's actively checking some of those things or you've got protections in place for some of that, it's a tough one to actually combat against. You're absolutely right. And it's good to, as you said, maybe brush up for individuals, companies. Um, there's plenty of teams that offer these kinds of services I know that can go in you know, and assess and test your employee base to see do they fall for fishes, you know? Are they um, susceptible to, you know, uh, emails that contain some, you know, uh, some incentive, you know, whether that's monetary or, or other. So, um, no, it's it's really good to know that the spear phishing um, attacks are still out there and people can and should be doing more to at least stay a little bit more vigilant about them. Yeah, well, think about think about the one thing. I mean, your bank often sends you an email, don't they? And they turn and say, we will never ask you for your password. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can tell you now, your own IT department will never ask you to reconfirm your password. Yeah, right. They yeah. will never send you a link in email and ask you to do that. Nope. You may have a conversation with your IT guy when you're getting support from him over the phone or, or whatever, and he may turn and say, can you enter your password now? But he's not going to send you a link of where to put this in, in email. No. no. So treat no. it just like your bank is saying. You know, if somebody's sending this you an email, it's probably not real. You got that right. That's a good point. So how, how much did they make off of this, Tony? How much money did the hackers make? Well, the last count, and I looked this up just before we recorded this podcast, it was $180,000. Oh, oh, wow. To put that another way, it's 20 Bitcoins. Now, I can't not take this opportunity to turn and say, why has the world allowed for there to be an anonymous currency where 
what we're doing is we're facilitating criminals to have a method to receive payment without authentication of who they are. If we stopped this, if if in some way cryptocurrencies had a level of regulation on them in the same way that normal bank accounts do, where you have to be an identified individual to open one, then we cut their money off. And we all know from the Hollywood movies, don't we? Yeah, if you want Mr. Big, follow the money. And once you follow the money and stop the money, Mr. Big disappears. You got that right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, unregulated, untraced, and as you said, as anonymous as anonymous can get, um, it it is, you're right, we have facilitated um, a variety of, you know, from Bitcoin to Ethereum to a variety of different um, cryptocurrencies. So that is a big discussion point, and I'm very curious about maybe what the future of that could be. Yeah, and and, well, at some stage, I'd like to think somebody does step in and regulate it in some way. Uh, And I understand, I understand the the want of people to have this free and open area of called the internet. But actually, some of these things are not regulation to stop us doing good things. They're regulation to stop people doing bad things. Yeah, you're right. And as you said, there will always be criminals, but there are things that organizations, governments, and individuals can do to maybe raise these issues up. So now I appreciate you saying that. Um, So you mentioned in terms of the compensation they received or the profit they returned but what i guess what was where's the value for the hackers here was it just in the financial aspect of it was there personal information from either the employees or the accounts hacked that they were able to glean and potentially you know sell what what, what value did they get out of it besides the, the the payday from you know from the bitcoin transactions well, obviously, the payday is very nice, I would assume. You could have a nice afternoon out somewhere on $180,000, uh, or maybe two afternoons. Of course. I was going to say, I need to hang out with you in the afternoon more often. <laughs> wow. k for an afternoon. Man, I'm doing yeah. life wrong here. <laughs> um, but if we, if we look at the information that they gleaned, so firstly, they were not able to see previous passwords because previous passwords are held encrypted. So they couldn't actually access those tools throughout or that information through the hack. They were able to view personal information, including email addresses and phone numbers. But bear in mind, they're target- they targeted 130 accounts, but the 130 accounts were of very public figures. So suddenly you may well have increased yeah. if you've got the mobile phone number of you know, Barack Obama or whoever it might be, I'm sure it has some sort of value. And actually, the the issue then of that person having maybe needing to change their phone number because of this hack could be kind of awkward, couldn't it? Yeah, there is probably some value in the data they've stolen. But where would you go and sell it? Well, on the dark web. We're back there, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's where we always end up. And it's maybe, a, I guess, a concern of mine is that if this was so easily done for, again, people with high profiles, as you said, that are quite challenging, you know, to duplicate a Barack Obama, uh, a Bill Gates, or any other high profile individual that they were they were targeting or that they um, they compromised, um, I think the low hanging fruit are, are the everyday user, you know, myself, yourself, people with um, non celebrity status. Let's put it that way. Um, is it likely that you know personal, you know? information for everyday users will also be a value to the hackers in the near term? 
any access to anything is good for a hacker, isn't it? Because if they work out your Twitter password and you're using the same password, they could potentially gain access to something else. And, and so the story goes on of you move from one one account to the next. Uh, so you often hear of people's Twitter accounts getting hijacked in this way. Uh, and in fact, one of the common ways is through third-party software. Because t- as you said, Twitter's security is pretty good if you've got two-factor authentication turned on. Uh, so there's there's a lot of protections in there. But if you then open up your Twitter account and give another application access oh, yeah. to your Twitter account, yeah, is their security as good as Twitter's? Because if it's not, then you've just opened another door. So I think there is a weakness there. Uh, and maybe actually that should be something Twitter do tighten up on. Maybe they should actually turn and say anybody that uses that API to give to provide a service to your Twitter account, you know, whether it's something like TweetDeck or one of the other services that then allow you to see it in a different format or see multiple tweets at the same time and or track things, maybe they should have to step up and have the same level of security on their services before they're allowed to have access. I couldn't agree more. And whether, as you said, the folks that are in you know my profession with PR, we're looking and monitoring everything. So some of these services are very good, as you said, of creating columns of uh, feeds, if you will, that monitor uh, topics or, as you said, post on your behalf. And if that's not buttoned up, then, as you said, that is the weak link. And I think it's important to highlight that because... Um, I know there's a number of people in my network that use these tools um, to schedule content because either they're too busy or they're aware of things that will happen like a conference, an announcement or something else. And it's, you know, create the content, create the post, set it. And then you, in some ways, you kind of forget it, right? You've created your content. You're now letting this thing automate and automatically post for you that, as you said, it's... um, it's it's a it's a point of concern, I would say. So I'm yeah. glad that you highlighted that. And you said, you know, what's the value of coming after a personal account? Well, okay, you you, know, you have the at ESET account, yeah, but there's you have at Ransom BB. Now, while you don't speak on behalf of the company, somebody reading your tweet might think you do. So yeah. could you be a target and be abused in that way? Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. Oh yeah. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> but yeah, well, you're right. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, I mean, I would hope not. But as you said, yeah, there's um, as you said, as as far as a scenario, I'm sure others have thought of that. You know, um, what about you? What do you think? I mean, if we're talking about personal hacks and being targets here, what do you think people could or should do just to kind of shore up their security profiles? If you were just maybe batting down the hatches a little bit more, what are you? What do you kind of recommend people do? So did you ever watch the IT crowd? I did not watch the IT crowd. Okay, the IT crowd, there's a couple of IT support guys that sit in a basement, and when the phone rings, it automatically answers and it reads a script. And it says, have you turned it off and on? Yeah, have you logged on? Are the lights on? You know the standard IT. Yeah, yeah, of course. course. So I'm going to sound a bit like that recording on the IT crowd now. Bring it. Have good passwords. Okay. Yeah. Enable two-factor authentication. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't use the password on multiple accounts. These are, you know, when an email turns up and it's asking you for credentials, don't click on the link. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Don't put your credentials into anything else other than where you're you should be. 
I kind of feel like that IT crowd answer thing. <laughs> so many times when there's a cyber attack, we come back to the same thing. In fact, maybe I should just record those things, have them on a little player in my pocket. And yeah. When somebody asks a question, I should just hang on, you know, and play yeah. the play the recording. You're right. You're right. It is. It is funny that it, it's. It's not funny. It's. It's interesting that there are these best practices, right? There are these standards that. As you said, if you do just the basics, you improve and enhance your security protection and your profile by a, by a margin of like three to ten, depending on what you do. Right. The one thing I would add on top is in this particular scenario, and actually in social media generally, you have these secondary applications like we've just discussed. When you stop using one of those applications, do you go in and revoke the access? And the answer is, I bet you don't. Yeah. Because it doesn't dawn on you that, well, I've just stopped using this tool, so I've now unloaded it. But actually, you need to go into the social media account and you need to revoke the access. Yeah, because otherwise, that company still has access to your Twitter account through the credentials you provide it. Right? So make sure that you actually, on frequent basis, go and audit what other applications have access to your social media accounts. Now, that is key. That is really key, Tony. Thank you for that one. Wow. Okay. Gosh, anything else? I mean, we've covered the the reason, or I guess the, the raison d'etre, how it happened and what they were after, which, as you said, you know, was the financial and the payday piece and um, how it happened. Um, we've got some personal information out there. Um, what, what else can we cover on the Twitter hackers? Is there anything interesting or unique that, that we can share? Not that I can think of. I think it will be interesting to see how their investigation unfolds and uh, how that maybe changes maybe some of the security that Slack have and some of the third-party development platforms that companies use as well. Because, you know, we've heard before in data breaches, you know, remember all the way back to that target data breach, a HVAC vendor was targeted to get to target. And now we hear Slack was targeted to get to Twitter, yeah, there's a common theme in some of these as well. Yeah, well, it certainly is. And as you said, it doesn't seem to be going away. So I'm glad that we talked about it. And as we get to the end here, I'm going to go back to something you brought up at the beginning of the call, which is it's been great recording the first season with you, Tony. I mean, we come, we've come a long way in 10 episodes from COVID contact tracing apps, I believe, to what was our episode last, last week? We were talking about cutting the cable cord, you know, so... It's been one hell of a season, and I can't wait to see what we do for next season. I know we're probably going to take a week or two off here, um, but I think we're going to come back with some special guests for season two and even some more exciting content, right? Absolutely. And uh, more to the point, I look forward to uh, you actually delivering on that promise from last week of free beer, wasn't it? Oh, no, sorry, it was free beer koozies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Lagunitas is on deck for the free beer, but yeah, I can definitely provide the ESET koozies. I've got one here. Uh, send Tony and I, or Tony or I, a message here. Tony at ESET on Twitter and Ransom BB on Twitter will get you a nice ESET koozie to keep your beers cold this summer. And with that, Tony, I want to raise a glass to you again and say thanks, my friend. And I hope you have a great rest of the summer. And we're going to sign off for season one of Speakeasy Security. Cheers. That's great. Thanks, Ransom. You're welcome. Cheers. Cheers.